We are beginning this new series called Almost Famous. Almost Famous. So I want to start it like this. Uh, I'm curious if anybody in here knows what this picture is, right? Not this picture, but the next one. Uh, if they, you know what this is. A charger block. That's the first thing. Oh, it's an iPhone charger block. No, it's not. It's not an iHome. Yeah. A plug into the thing to make the stereo go loud. No, it's not that. Yep. A random plug. No, it's none of those things. So check it out here. Here's the deal. I don't know everything about everything, and I certainly don't know a whole lot about cars, but here's what I know, that there are certain parts of cars, there are certain parts of cars that you do not need. Like, you can cut certain parts of your car off, and it still goes. Like, it just works that way. Uh, there were plenty of dudes in my high school that cut off the muffler to their car, and it still ran. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. There are certain parts of your car that are necessary. There are certain parts of your car that are necessary that your, your car, your car cannot, your car cannot run without. Stay with me. Your car cannot run without. So this right here, this right here is a, is a, is a fuel pump relay. It's a fuel pump relay. And that is the actual size of it. The actual size of this thing is about this big. It's about this big. So listen, here's how, here's the deal. It's about this big. It costs seven bucks from the auto parts store. Seven dollars. So you don't really need a job to buy a fuel pump relay. But here's the deal. You plug in your fuel pump relay to your fuse box. It sends a signal to your fuel pump, which then, obviously, pumps fuel to your engine. Your engine requires fuel in order to run. Without fuel, your car doesn't go. Right? So listen. Without this, it does, your car doesn't work. Even though it seems really insignificant. Even though it doesn't really cost that much. It doesn't really look like that important of a part. But it plays a really significant role in the whole system. Now I say that to say this. There are some of us, when it comes to being a part of the story of God, that think. I don't know if I'm significant enough to be a part of God's story. I don't know if God can use me to be a part of his story. I mean, I'm not like David. I'm not like Paul. I'm not like the disciples. I'm not like what, fill in the blank. I'm not like Pastor Brian. I'm not like whatever. Fill in the blank with whoever you're thinking in your head. I'm not like them. I don't know that God could use me. But throughout history, God has been using the insignificant, the unlikely, the unchosen to do unbelievable things for the the glory of God. Much like That picture, much like that part, it seems insignificant, but it plays a key role. So it is with everybody that is a part of the family of God that we all play a key role and have a chance to be a part of doing something great for the kingdom of God. And so what I want to do over the next four weeks is look at these people from the scriptures that are really almost famous. They're people that we gloss over in the Bible, but they played big roles in the story of God. People that you wouldn't write down if you're like, hey, write the top five Bible characters that you know. These probably aren't the people you're going to write. But they play a big role 
in the story of God. So Joshua chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Uh, you stay in Joshua 2. I'm actually going to read Hebrews 11.31, but we're going to jump right back into Joshua chapter 2 when I finish this. So Hebrews 11.31 says this. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So in Hebrews chapter 11, this is what is people refer to as like the faith hall of fame. If you're unfamiliar with church, you're like, what does that mean? There's this chapter in Hebrews that talks about great people of the faith, how they acted in faith and did great things for God because of their faith. That's essentially what's going on in Hebrews chapter 11. And this girl, Rahab, is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. That is weird, as we'll see from Joshua chapter 2. But let's just back up and figure out how we got to Joshua chapter 2. So here's what's been going on. The Israelites have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. I don't know about you, but wandering in the desert wouldn't be the, like the funnest thing I've ever done in my life. So it's hot. They're probably thirsty a lot. They're eating manna every day, which is great. Like God's providing, but like they've had manna every day. Like, can you imagine eating the same thing every day? Eventually, like some of you are like, well, I, I could do that. But for 40 years, you'd probably be like, I really like a cheeseburger. Like that'd be great if you could give me something different. You're probably frustrated. You're probably tired. And all the, like... Everything is leading up to, okay, we're going to wander in the desert for 40 years until this rebellious generation dies off and the current generation will go inherit the land that God has promised. This promised land that God has given to us, we are moving toward that. So as we move into Joshua, that's happening. Moses just died. Joshua's taken over. They're about to take over the promised land. It's that kind of deal. Like they're like, thank God we are not going to wander in the desert anymore. Let's do this. I'm tired of this manna. I need something different, right? I need something like something needs to change. And so they're about to enter into the promised land. They're on looking out over the plains, looking at the promised land saying, oh my gosh, it's right there. I could, I can almost touch it. I cannot wait to be there. And this is where we are. And Joshua looks at these two guys he's like, hey, go over into Jericho. Spy out the land. Because Jericho is a part of this promised land. I want you to go and like do some recon. See what we're going up against. Because in order to get this land, we're going to have to like battle these dudes and beat them. I need to know what we're up against so that we can prepare and not get punked when we get over there. So he sends some... He sends some spies, as the text says, into the land to go and check out Jericho. What's it like? What's the city like? What are the people like? How, what, are we, what are we up against? And they show up and they go to this inn. And the inn is run by this girl named Rahab. And Rahab's a prostitute. She's a Canaanite prostitute. She's a foreigner. She's not Hebrew. And she's a sinner. She's a prostitute. She makes poor choices with her body with a bunch of different guys. And these guys show up to her house and the king of Jericho finds out there are some Hebrew guys in, in Jericho. They're trying to spy out our land. And so the king sends some of his men to Rahab's house. They know, oh, I bet they're at Rahab's house. So they, he sends some men to Rahab's house. They knock, knock, knock. Hey, Rahab, we need to talk to you for a little bit. Hey, are those guys here? We need to know if those guys are here so that we can kill them because we don't want them to spy out our land so they can come and beat us. And Rahab lies. She's like, I don't know any guys. I, they were here a little earlier, but they left and not, I don't know what you want me to do about that. And they believe her. She's hit him upstairs and they believe her and they take off going to look for these guys. She walks upstairs like, Hey, they're gone, but I'm just letting you know, here's why I did this. Here's why I just lied to those guys. We heard about what your God did in Egypt. 
We heard about what your God did to the Egyptians, how he split the Red Sea and then swallowed them up. We heard about what your God did to the Amorites. We heard about what your God did in Sihon. We heard how your God has moved over and over and over again to get you people where he wants you to go. And you know what happened when we heard about your God? Our hearts melted. We were in fear of your God. And we knew that guy, the Lord, he is God. We knew it. And so she says, I know God's going to give you this land. And, and since I know that, I need you to promise me something, guys. That you're not going to kill me and my family when you come and do this. And they say, okay. But here's the deal. You've got to hang this red cord in your window so we know it's your house. You've got to gather all of your family inside of your house. And you can't leave. If you leave, it's on you. If you don't get, if you don't get one of them in here and they get killed, it's on you. But if they're all in your house, we'll rescue every one of them. Rescue every one of them. And she says, okay. Hangs the red cord, sneaks the spies out. They go back to Joshua and say, God's going to give us this land. Let's do this. And this is where we're left. And what I want to do with Joshua chapter 2 is ask this question. What can we learn from Rahab? What can we learn from Rahab? Really, the question is this. What about Rahab made her a significant part of God's story? What about her made her a significant part of God's story? The first thing is this. She was a significant part of God's story because she knew the Lord. Now, that might be like a duh moment for some of you. But you can't be used by God if you don't know God. Do you understand? If you're not following God, if you're not saying, I believe you, God, you're the one true God, I'm following you, I'm after you, I've given my life over to you. If you're not there, if you're saying, I don't actually follow God, I don't actually know God, then you certainly can't be in a position to be used by God. Before you ever, ever start to ask the question, how would God use me? You need to ask the question, do I know him? Do I follow him? Because if you leave here all pumped up and rah, rah, cheer, cheer, let's go, Jesus, but you don't believe Jesus, you've wasted your time. You need to ask a different question, and do I actually follow Jesus? Because if he really did live and really did die and really did get up from the dead, you have to deal with that before you deal with anything else. We can't be used by God until we know God. So she knew the Lord. This was proven. We, we find out from James. James chapter 2, verse 25 says this. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute from Joshua chapter 2 justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. James says she was justified by her works, meaning she was proven that she was a believer, a follower of the one true God because she hid those spies and said, we're after whatever your God is after. We're going to do whatever your God wants. She knew the Lord. You can't be used by God unless you know God. What else can we learn? What made her a significant part of God's story? Rahab doesn't let her reputation or her past mistakes stop her from acting. Rahab doesn't let her reputation or her past mistakes stop her from acting and doing something for God. She's a prostitute. That's what the Bible says. She's a foreigner. And God's people are the Hebrews. God told the Hebrews to go destroy the Canaanites. Guess what Rahab is? A Canaanite. She is a Canaanite 
prostitute. So if anybody had an excuse as to why God couldn't use them, it's Rahab. Can you just imagine the lies that Rahab could have believed? The things that she could have heard the enemy say to her. You're too messed up for God to do anything. You're too dirty for God to do anything with you. You've messed up way too many times. I'm disappointed in you. You made the wrong decision time after time after time. I can't use people like you. You don't have it together. What makes you think that I'm going to use you? These are the lies that Rahab could have believed, but she didn't let her reputation and she didn't let her past mistakes stop her from acting for God. And so it is with some of you. Are there past mistakes that you've made? Or maybe they're current mistakes that you're using as reasons why God can't use you. Kate, you don't know how messed up I am. Kate, you don't know how bad I've blown it. Kate, you don't know I've done the same sin over and over and over again. I don't know how to get out of it. I don't want it, Kate, but I don't know how to get out of it. God can't use somebody like me until I get my stuff together. You say things to me like this. I'm just trying to get back to where I used to be with God, and then I'll start doing something. Then God will start to use me and until I get back to this certain place where God can finally do something with me, until I get spiritual enough for God to actually say, okay, you're finally good enough for you to be on my team. Now you've read the Bible enough this this week. You've done enough good this week. Now I can use you. But if you're waiting to get it all together, you're never going to do anything. Because every person that God has used ever doesn't have it together. If you're here and you're saying, man, I don't have it all together yet. I'm not sure that God's like willing to use me. I'm not there yet. I haven't gotten there yet. Then neither have I. Neither has any Christian that you know. If the excuse is, I just don't, I don't know if I'm good enough yet. You're not. Nobody ever has been. David wasn't good enough. Paul wasn't good enough. The disciples, they weren't good enough. But throughout history, God has been using imperfect, sinful people to accomplish unbelievable things. So we're in good company. If you're here saying, God can't use me because I don't have it together. God's looking at you saying, I've been using people just like you forever. So let's do this. Let's do this. Does that mean that we can just like keep sinning all we want to and God has to use us? That's not what I'm saying. But if we are battling against sin and repenting of our sin and moving toward God, it's not that God's asking us to have it all together. God is just asking us to pursue him, to move toward him. Don't use it as an excuse for why you can't be used by God. Don't let your mistakes haunt you. Be the the thing that the enemy gripes in your ear about. You're too dirty. God's disappointed with you. If you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, God doesn't look at you with disappointment. God looks at you and sees Jesus and looks at you with love. You could lay your head on the pillow at night and say, None of my behavior today changed how God felt about me. I could not have blown it enough for God to stop loving me. Because if that were true, because if that were true, then Jesus' death on the cross wasn't enough. So don't let your past stop you from being used by God. The third thing we see about Rahab 
She feared the Lord more than she feared anything else. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord your God. He is God. In the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab feared God more than she feared anything else. And because she feared God more than she feared anything else. She had to act. She had to do whatever it took to serve that guy. Some of you aren't willing to be used by God because you fear everything else more than you fear God. You fear social rejection more than you fear God. You you fear failure more than you fear God. You fear not getting the approval of your friends more than you fear God. And the kind of people that are used by God are the kind of people that say, God, I fear you more than I fear anything else. You're the Lord. And it doesn't matter who shoves me out. It doesn't matter... If I look ignorant or silly, it doesn't matter. This is about you, God, not about me. You see, when we operate like that, when we, when we fear all that other stuff more than we fear God, we're really more concerned about ourselves than we are about the glory of God. You're just more concerned about your reputation. But we've got to be a people who say, I fear God more than I fear anything else. What did Rahab have to fear? The king's men knocked on her door. Can you imagine if they actually found out, like, these dudes are upstairs. Peace out, Rahab. You're going to die now. But she essentially stares death in the face. And chooses to fear God instead. Because the kind of people that are used by God are the kind of people that say, I fear God more than I fear anything else. Not social rejection. Not looking silly. Not not gaining my reputation. I fear God. I want what he wants. I want to go his way. She feared God more than she feared anything else. And the last thing we see is that she trusted the promises of God. She said to these dudes, hey, I know God's going to give you the land. But you've got to promise me something. You're going to come back and get me and my family. And they told her, we'll come get you. You just got to do these things. And look what she does. Read verse uh, 21. And she said, that's Rahab, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. She did exactly what they said. Because she trusted the promise of God. You're like, these guys aren't God. That's not the promise of God. But these guys are the people of God speaking for God to this woman. So as far as she's concerned, they represent God. And they said to her, we are going to come get you. We're going to rescue you. We're not going to leave you. You have helped the people of God. We're not going to bail on you. And her faith was greater than her fear in that moment. Because she could have said, you fools aren't going to come get me. 
She could have done that, but she didn't. She operated in faith. She said, I'm going to trust the promise of God. I'm going to trust that you're going to come get me. I'm going to trust that he's going to rescue. I'm going to trust that God is actually going to give you this land so that you can come get me. She could have said, what if like you get here and all of the Canaanites crush you? But she trusted the promise of God. That God would give them the land. And that she would get rescued just like they said. Do you trust God's promises to, for God to keep his promises so that God will use you? Or are you not allowing yourself to be used by God because you're terrified God's not going to come through? Well, I don't know if I can do that, God. What if, what if, like, what if you don't actually do what you say? Like, God, what if I share the gospel and they make fun of me and you're not with me like you said you would be till the end of the age? God, what, what if I, I put myself out there for, for you and, and stand up for what, for what you're about? And I know you said that you'll never leave me nor forsake me, but what if you bail on me, God? What if you don't have my back? What if, what if you don't do like, like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says? It says, he who calls you is faithful. He'll surely do it. God, what if you're not faithful when I do what you call me to do? Like, what if I step out there and it looks really silly? And God, what if you're not faithful? Like, what if you don't actually give me what you said you're going to give me? What if you don't actually do what you say you're going to do? And so in your fear, you, you, don't, you just don't act at all. You say, I don't want to do this because what if God doesn't come through? Listen to me. How small does God have to be? For God not to come through on every promise. What? What makes you think that he's not going to come through? He's never failed before. Why would he start with you? Why would he look at you and go, hey, I know that I've never broken a promise, but this time, sorry, I can't do it. It's just a little too much this time. Why would God start failing with you? He won't. He's never failed on a promise before. He won't fail on a promise today. So trust the promises of God. Well, what was the outcome for Rahab? Look at, uh, turn the page, go to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, verse 22. Here's the outcome. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab, the prostitute, and her father's household, and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. What happened? God came through. She was faith-filled, and God came through on his promise. And because Rahab knew the Lord, and because Rahab feared God more than she feared anything else, and because Rahab trusted the promises of God, because Rahab didn't let her past mistakes dictate how she was going to be used by God right now, because that happened, because Rahab did that. God used her in unbelievable ways. He showed her unbelievable grace by rescuing her, just like he said. But guess what else he did? He used Rahab to give Israel the promised land. What would it have been like if they didn't stop at Rahab's house? 
What would it have been like if Rahab didn't say to the guys, hey, they're not here? What would it have been like if Rahab didn't hide them? What would it have been like if Rahab was terrified and was like, they're upstairs, go kill them all? We don't know. What we do know is she was used by God and the Israelites took the land and they got to be a part of God's promise because Rahab was faithful. And Rahab played a small part in a really big story but a necessary part in a really big story. What's even crazier is Rahab's story is bigger than that because Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 5 says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, meaning this is the lineage of Jesus. These people lead up to Jesus. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Okay, we knew that. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Okay, we're just still doing good. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Okay. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nation, Nation, the father of Salmon. Check this out. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by who? Rahab. Guess who gets mentioned in the lineage of Jesus? Rahab. A foreigner, sinful woman gets to be a part of the lineage through which the Savior of the world shows up. You think Rahab knew that when she let the spies in her house? No, she didn't know that. You think she knew? You think she knew that like, okay, I'm going to be with this guy and then we're going to have this son, Boaz, and then it's going to lead all the way down to Jesus. You think she knew that? No way. But God used her obedience and made her a part of something far bigger than herself. Listen, here's the deal. You have no idea. You have no idea what your obedience today will do in the future. You don't. You have no idea what your obedience today in the small things will do in a really big way 10 years from now. What if your obedience today Change somebody's eternity 10 years from now. What if your obedience today changed somebody's life 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from now? You never know what your obedience today will change about the future. You never know. So trust that God is going to come through, that God is going to use you. You don't have to have it all together. Rahab didn't have it all together. But here's the deal. Here's the question then. If God can use Rahab, why can't he use you? Why can't he use you? You don't have an excuse. You don't have an excuse. 